Hi, I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome, my name is Ashley Smith Thomas and I am the host of Freedom Talks. The purpose of this show is to educate Americans on key freedom and national security issues. And today, friends, I wanna share with you that it's time for Americans to wake up because freedom is on the line. There's a movement that has infiltrated our educational system, and it's a Marxist movement as they push this curriculum called critical race theory that deems white people to be inherently racist and oppressive. But imagine this being taught to preschoolers, fourth graders, seventh graders, and those even in high school, that they are being taught that they are to be shamed for the color of their skin for being white. This is highly unacceptable. We see this Marxist movement even infiltrating our businesses, our corporations, our government institutions, and yes, even our U.S. military. But we are also seeing this being pushed in our churches as pastors begin to teach critical race. This is wrong on so many levels, as critical race is derived from Karl Marx, as Marx believed in separating people based on the class and their race. We are the United States of America. And if we continue doing this and pushing this curriculum, that we will become divided. This is not the divided states, this is the United States. And today I'm really excited to have two guests with me who stood up in South Lake, Texas to push back against the critical race theory. They ran for school board and won, and I am thrilled to have them here so that they can be uh, sharing with you the importance of standing up in your community and why critical race theory uh, can be defeated. So today I wanna to share with you all and introduce you to Cameron Bryan and Hannah Smith. So Cameron was recently elected to the Carroll ISD School Board in South Lake, Texas. His record turnout election was one of the first statement wins against critical race theory in the country and included media coverage from around the world. Cameron's passion for children and strong belief that schools are a place for education, not indoctrination, led him to run for this important office at such a critical time. Together with his friend and now fellow trustee, Hannah Smith, he plans to ensure political ideologies like CRT are prevented from ever included in the CISD curriculum. Cameron is a civil engineer and a 30-year veteran in the aviation industry. He and his wife, Amanda, are proud parents of four, two daughters in college, a daughter who's a senior, and a son in the seventh grade. They are 18-year residents of South Lake. They love their community and plan to continue to fight to keep their school district the number one district in the state. And then I'd like to introduce you to Hannah Smith. From a young age, Hannah Smith demonstrated a passion for education that would take her to Princeton as a student and teacher to the Supreme Court as a religious liberty attorney and ultimately to her beloved home in South Lake as an advocate for our schools. 
Hannah focused on education policy and the teacher uh, preparation program to earn her degree from Princeton University and its School of Public and International Affairs. She earned her law degree at BYU. Hannah spent the next two decades involved in high-profile litigation at top law firms in the U.S. Supreme Court. She worked directly for Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Samuel Alito and later advocated successfully for religious liberty in state and federal courts, including four landmark victories at the U.S. Supreme Court. She has served as a legal spokeswoman on major news outlets, authored opinion pieces and articles on legal and religious liberty subjects, briefed policymakers at the White House, U.S. Capitol, the State Department, DOJ, and more. And she has provided expert testimony in support of Justice Neil Gorsuch's confirmation to the U.S. Supreme Court. While Hannah wasn't born in Texas, she got here as fast as she could. Hannah and her family have been proud residents of North Texas for seven years. In South Lake, Hannah has served in South Lake school, city, church, and Metroplex communities. She has volunteered for the Carroll Independent School District School Board Budget and Finance Committee, the CISD School Board Student Health Advisory Committee, and the new CISD Superintendent Focus Group, and she's also a youth leader in her church. She's a member of the South Lake Executive Forum, South Lake Executive Women, and proudly served as a board member for both the DFW Alliance of Religious Freedom and the Religious Freedom Institute. She's given speeches at academic institutions such as American University Law School, Columbia Law School, Harvard Law School, Princeton University, Southern, Methodi Southern Methodist University, and more. She's made appearances on CNN, Fox News, M MSNBC, NPR, BBC, Sean Hannity, Fox & Friends, Wall Street Journal Live, Rush Limbaugh, Laura Ingram, Lou Dobbs, just to name a few. She's also been interviewed for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Washington Times, LA Times, Associated Press and more. Hannah and her husband John have been married for over 23 years and they are proud parents of four children who attend elementary, intermediate, middle, and high schools in Carroll ISD, the youngest of which will graduate in 2032. Thank you all so much for being here today and I'm so excited to have you all here to be our subject matter experts to educate our followers on just the importance of just defending our school system from critical race theory. But first and foremost, I want to say congratulations on your win and Thank victory. You. Thank you so much. And I want to just start off by asking you all, why did you run for the school board? Why was that important to you? Well, you know, we were really surprised um, in August of 2020 when our district tried to pass a 34-page plan called the Cultural Competence Action Plan. I don't think anyone imagined when they moved to conservative Southlake that such a progressively leftist plan would be attempted in our school district. So I think everybody was just really surprised. Um, and once we realized what was happening, we just stood up and started fighting back. And when it, you know the time came and the two seats were open on the school board, I just said, "Well, you know, if not me, who? And if not now, when? Sure. I mean, somebody has to do it." And I think we were pretty well equipped to put our hats into the ring. So it's fantastic. And you know, the same for me. I just wanted to continue to serve our community. Like you read, um, our family's been in town for 18 years, and I've been the last decade or so. I've been uh, involved with youth sports and academics, coaching, mentoring. 
uh, you know, teaching, that type of thing. So, you know, I just really wanted to serve our community, continue to serve our community. And this was something that came up in August. And I was kind of a little late to the game because I was the president of Dragon Youth Football at the time. And that's a huge, football's really big in South Lake, unless, right. in case you don't know. Yes. And um, so when all this came about, I was just like, are you kidding me? Um, we have to get involved. And so my wife and I talked and said, yeah, this is time. Let's stand up and fight. We can do this. Um, and we did. That's incredible. And yeah. so I love the fact that your platform was running unafraid. Right. That was just yes. fantastic. Cause I know President Ronald Reagan, you know, would always say <laughs> evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. So I thought that was fantastic that you ran on that platform. Mm -hmm. um, my other question is, you know, I get all uh, with, the, with the critical race theory. I think a lot of people kind of try to figure out what that is. You know, what, what does it really mean? And when you go online, particularly like Google, you get different things that pop up and it's not always factual information. Uh, share with us what is critical race theory? And in this case, what is the curriculum that's being pushed or was being pushed in South Lake? Sure. Well, thank you for that question. I do think that there's a lot of um, unknowns about what critical race theory is, and some people don't exactly know what to expect when you talk about that in your schools. Um, critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory, um, and it's a political philosophy or political ideology that tends to look at every structure in society based on who are the oppressors and who are the oppressed. So it's a, a way of looking at society to decide Okay, these are the people in power, and these are the people who are not in power. So everything you look at through the lens of critical race theory will be looked at through that structure. Um, and when you put race into it, then it adds an extra layer of, okay, so it's not just who are the oppressors, but which race is the oppressor. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have whites as the oppressors, and blacks or other people of color as the oppressed. Um, and I think it's a particularly dangerous um, ideology because at its core, it's also fundamentally anti-American mm -hmm. um, because it really attacks the fundamental structures of our democracy. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose of critical theory initially and now critical race theory is to destabilize those centers of power to completely get rid of them and rebuild from scratch. So don't let anyone fool you when they say that critical race theory is nothing to be afraid of. If you really take critical race theory at its word, it is something to be extremely afraid of because the end goal is to completely restructure American society. You know, and I'll just add on to that just real quick. And you're never mm -hmm. going to see critical race theory spelled out in a curriculum. Um, in fact, the proponents of our cultural competence action plan say, CRT doesn't exist in the CCAP to show me where CRT is. Um, and we know that there were many elements within the CCAP that would introduce the CRT to our curriculum, such as equity audits of our policies mm -hmm. and programs, assigning a cultural competence quotient to a teacher to be evaluated, um, punitive action against uh, kids who commit microaggressions against underrepresented groups and tracking and recording those on their permanent record until they get to be a senior. Um, all of those elements are components of critical race theory. And when you start talking about critical race theory, um, 
you, you have to define what that is. Mm-hmm. And it comes under this all kinds of different terminology like diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, you're seeing it come in through uh, uh, SEL, which is social emotional learning, these ed tech programs. Um, it's very dangerous. They're teaching it to our pre-K kids. Um, and you really have to be aware of where it is to be on the lookout for mm-hmm. it. And that's what we're having to do. It's also called culturally responsive teaching in some places, culturally competent practices, culturally proficient practices. There's lots of different terminology that at the root of it is this philosophy of looking through the lens of power dynamics in all of the structures of our society. It was unbelievable because I looked online and was seeing that a lot of the the verbiage is masked, you know, under the disguise of diversity, inclusion, equity, and equality, and those all sound great buzzwords. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's not bad. We're here to talk about equality, but when in reality, it's incredibly divisive uh, curriculum that's being pushed. You mentioned the microaggression. That is something that I've been hearing parents bring up lately. Uh, the microaggression and the social emotional learning. Can you explain that in more detail? What is that, and why should parents be concerned with S with the SEL uh, teaching? Sure. Well, I'll start with microaggressions. So, microaggressions are defined as either intentional or unintentional slights, and the victim is the one who gets to decide whether or not it is a microaggression. So it's completely subjective in the eyes of the victim. Um, And what's, I think, fundamentally wrong with this from a free speech perspective is that usually in the American lexicon of legal understanding, you always have to give people prior notice before you punish somebody for doing something wrong, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a whole system set up to outline what are the elements for each of these offenses. And so you know, okay, if I do this, I'm gonna be punished like this. Mm -hmm. But for microaggressions, there's just no way to do that, right? Because it's entirely subjective. It could be a look, it could be a glance, it could be a shrug, it could be walking by somebody. It could be saying something like, what is that food you're eating because it smells different than what I'm used to? Or it could be simply asking somebody, where is your family from? Because you're insinuating they're an immigrant family and not an American family. So things like this that just fundamentally, um, I think people understand are an attack on free speech. Not because you're trying to be hurtful or because you're trying to harm somebody. I think Cam and I Mm -hmm. both said repeatedly through the campaign, we don't want to see any child suffer. We don't want anyone to be discriminated against or harassed or bullied. But when you have innocent things that are said um, from a child who's genuinely curious and then it's taken in the wrong way, then you see the real ramifications of tracking microaggressions. And it's quite terrifying, actually, if you think about the consequences of it. Do you think that it's going to prevent and hurt children from freely having conversations? Yes. In the Absolutely. Future? I yeah. said that in some public right. comments to our school board before I was elected. I said, you know, I want my kids to be having these important conversations with their classmates mm-hmm. about you know, their cultural backgrounds and their different religion and their, you know, immigrant experience. You know, I want them to be able to ask questions like that to their friends, but they will be absolutely unable to do that because they will be scared that anything they say will be deemed a microaggression and they will be punished. And that's just sad. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example because we just because we're voted in doesn't mean that CRT is not going to be in our schools. It's already in our schools. I'll give you an example. My son came home this year uh, one day uh, from school and he said, Dad, 
I just want to tell you something. I'm like, okay. And he says, I was at lunch with a friend of mine, happened to be a South, um, uh, South Asian descent, Southeast Asian descent. And he said, dad, I wanted to ask my friend what he was eating because it smelled really good, but I didn't because I knew if he's, if he told on me that I asked that I could get in trouble. And that right there tells you that somebody is teaching our children this because my son would have never thought about that unless somebody had told him. That's so unbelievable because what that does is then that creates a culture of fear. Right. Of course and it does. fear yes. is so, right. it, it's, it's bondage because mm -hmm. the children are not free to just ask such a simple question of, hey, what are you eating because that smells really good. And then mm -hmm. fearful that his peer is going to tell someone. That is just unbelievable to me that, that there's that kind of pressure on today's youth. And then my concern is by the time they get to junior high, by the time they get to high school, oh my goodness, what what, what are they going to be like if they're so afraid to have conversations? Right. Um, the second part of your question was yeah. about SEL. Yes. So do you want to talk about that? Well, I was okay. going to say, um, as far as the SEL, you know, uh, the TEA, which is the Texas Education Agency, has required through the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills that certain character traits be taught um, in our schools. Uh, those character traits, some of them are good. Help me out here, Hannah. Um, honesty, honesty, integrity, courage, right. sure. um, compassion. There's, there's a few mm -hmm. um, that, you know, identity, self-identity, and what are... Biases, yeah, biases and, and diversity and different cultural backgrounds, that kind of stuff. And, and, and they want that um, embedded in the curriculum um, from all the way from pre-K all the way up. So we have to be very careful of our curriculum, looking at our English, looking at our social studies, mm -hmm. looking at civics, um, and making sure that this stuff is being taught in the appropriate way. Uh, we both think that you know character traits are taught at home, sure. right? It, it has no place in education. Um, but if it's required, we need to make sure how it's being implemented. Well, that's good, absolutely. Yeah. And what started to, mm -hmm. like what happened in South Lake that brought all this attention from the national media to really hone in and focus on South Lake pertaining to the critical race theory. What happened? How, how did you all get yeah. to this point? So several years ago, um, there was a video that went viral on social media. It was after a homecoming dance in a private residence, obviously after school hours, um, not in an activity that was supervised by any school personnel. It was just a personal private party. Um, and unfortunately, some kids said some things that were inappropriate, um, repeated, chanted some words to a rap song that were inappropriate. Um, and those videos went viral. Um, and immediately, the school uh, created a meeting between those students and the parents and the district administrators to talk about what they were going to do to address this issue. Um, and as a result of that incident, there was convened a district diversity council, had over 60 members of the community, uh, school teachers, students, administrators, uh, who convened meetings over the course of about two and a half years um, to create a plan. And the plan that they came up with um, was the 34-page cultural competence action plan. Now, a lot of the content in the CCAP didn't actually come from those committees. About half of it came in from the administration, and about half of it came up from the committees. And the members of those different subcommittees 
Um, one was a teacher training subcommittee, another was a communication subcommittee, another was student subcommittee. So there were different kinds of subcommittees. They didn't really know what the other committees were doing, right? And so in the end, it was all put together in this 34-page plan and presented as the work of the DDC, but they didn't even know most of what yeah, was in the plan, it. right? Okay, right. <laughs> so that plan was then presented to the Board of Trustees in an August 2020 board meeting. And it was only presented on the agenda as something that would be information only. So just presented to the board as here's the you know results of our work. But one of the board members decided to make a motion. And the motion was to accept the plan and to workshop it. Create some workshops so we can know what's in the plan and understand what's in it. Um, and that motion was revised a couple of times, but ultimately voted upon and accepted five to two. There are only two members of the seven-person board of trustees that declined to accept the plan. Um, and so that was sort of the beginning of the um, community rising up and saying we're not going to stand for this anymore. So, you know, the other okay. thing, too, that DDC did, they did two, two, they took two actions. They created this CCAP, but they also uh, made 340-plus changes to the student code of conduct, and many of those changes had like elements that were in the CCAP. So they are also trying to legislate CRT through the implementation of these changes in the student code of conduct, which still exists today. Um, so it's just, you know, those two items just, um, you can't introduce that into a community like ours mm -hmm. and expect to get away with it. Sure. And, you know, I know recently Governor Abbott had mentioned that they banned CRT in the state of Texas. So what does that mean? And does that impact South Lake? And is the, the underlying tones of CRT still within the Carroll ISD? So I should say that um, one of the main tools that the community used to fight back was doing open records requests. So we did a lot of open records requests to find out how much of the plan had already been implemented, what kinds of teacher trainings had already occurred, um, what kinds of surveys had been sent out to students and teachers and asking for those to be um, submitted so we could review them. Um, and one of the open records requests were for the text messages of board members prior to the board meeting at which the CCAP was presented. And those text messages revealed alleged violations of the Texas Open Meetings Act because the Texas Open Meetings Act says that you cannot deliberate as official elected members of the school board on matters that are on the agenda prior to the open meeting. And the whole purpose of the Texas Open Meetings Act is to keep all of official business out in the open where the public can see it happening and not any backroom deals, right? So these text messages revealed that there had been a walking quorum or a daisy chain of at least four members of the school board that had deliberated about the CCAP and what they were gonna do and what kind of action they were going to take in the meeting. So that became the basis of a lawsuit against those trustees and the district for violating the Texas Open Meetings Act. Um, and those text messages were also sent to the criminal district attorney who did her own investigation. Um, she convened a grand jury, and that grand jury resulted in an indictment of two of the board members, the president and the vice president. Okay. So 
there was significant legal action that took place, and part of this civil lawsuit was a temporary restraining order, or a TRO, that stopped any further action on the CCAP. So the CCAP has been on hold as a result of that litigation. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's, I, I had read that there was a victory of 70 to 30 vote oh. there in South Lake. Can you explain what that vote was and what that was pertaining to? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was the, it was the biggest turnout for a municipal election in South Lake ever. Um, typically, you'll see 28 to 3,500 votes uh, in these non-general election uh, timetables. Um, and we had over 10,000 people come out to vote. So Hannah and I both received 68, 6,900 votes, which is uh, really amazing. And I tell you, we worked extremely hard to get those voters to the polls. Um, it's very difficult in a community of 32,000. We had, what, 21,000 registered voters. So uh, approximately 45 to 50% came out to vote, unheard of. Usually you're looking at 10% or less. And so we held over 70 meet and greets in a 14 week period. And we met with thousands and thousands of people in our community. And it was a huge education effort. So, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, our community really didn't know what was in the CCAP. They didn't know what CRT was. And Hannah and I had to go around house by house, community, all of our community to educate them. And once you start educating your community, then they're like, really? Right. Are you kidding me? They say, yes, well, here it is right here in black and white. And, you know, it's just a tremendous effort to be able to get out, meet people, talk to people, educate them, and then to get out the vote. I mean, we ran a professional campaign. I mean, we really did. We had uh, call banks. We had uh, professional uh, uh, canvassers. Canvassers. Mm -hmm. We had volunteers that went door to door handing out flyers. I mean, it was really a production. And, you know, the bottom line, too, our community was so behind us that we raised three and a half times, both of us raised each three and a half times more money than any candidate, including mayor and city council. Um, so it was, it, yeah. was, it was quite an event. Um, you know, it's kind of like the perfect storm. Um, and I think really that was. just speaks to the level of involvement of our community, mm -hmm. right? That this mattered so much to them that they were willing to open up their checkbooks, that they were willing to commit the time to come and help, that they were willing to do whatever it took to make sure that we won, which just shows you how concerned they were about this plan passing. Absolutely. Yeah. And what would you say to other school districts that are facing a very similar challenge? How would you encourage them to push back and defeat CRT and getting parents involved? So our playbook was really just get organized early, figure out who the like-minded parents are in your community, open up a private Facebook group where you can start communicating and talking to each other and educating each other. We hosted webinars for our community so that they could learn about CRT and learn about um, the CCAP and learn about the free speech implications and the due process implications. Um, and then, you know, we also did a lot of open records requests. So I would encourage folks to learn how to do an open records request. It's really easy, but you can get a lot of great information that will arm you with facts that you can then go to your school board meetings and present public comments that are both informed and um, focused on the point that you want to make. Um, so open records requests, you know, Facebook groups, uh, education of the community, and then ultimately you're going to need an army behind you to help you with your campaigns. Um, 
The other thing that I'll add is that there was a um, political action committee that was formed in our community, the South Lake Families PAC, um, and they did a great job of organizing folks into different committees, um, in getting them involved, and in raising money um, to fund various efforts um, in the election. So there was a lot of different people involved. It took an army, and I would just encourage other people who are trying to fight this to just follow those steps, and you know, you can be successful too. That's incredible. And what would you say um, to parents who have children in the public school system or even in Christian schools, because we hear even critical race is infiltrating, yeah. you know, religious institutions. We hear it, you know, being taught now in churches and now in Christian schools. Um, you know, I speak a lot at various groups and I have parents that come up to me and say, well, how do I push back against this? Because I don't want to run for school board. I don't want to run for city council, but how can I be a part in stopping yeah. this? What are some action steps that you could give viewers who are watching this uh, that want to take action but not run for school board? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've been telling people, you have to be very aware of what's going on in your child's classroom. Uh, talk to your teacher often. Uh, when you see something, check their homework. You know, what are they reading? What's in the library? All of these things you need to know as a parent. And if you do, then you have something that you can talk to the teacher about, you can talk to your principal about, you know, go to school board meetings and speak about these types of things. It's very effective. So, you know, just being aware, being involved in your child's education, our community, the parent parental engagement in our educational system is incredible. There are more parents involved in the day-to-day -day activities of our children on all of our campuses than I would say your average school district around uh, the country. And that's why we found out about a lot of this stuff and why our community got fired up about it because they were engaged, they were aware, and they acted. That's incredible. Yeah, and I think, you know, actually, the fact that a lot of kids were home in quarantine during COVID had a real impact on this, right? Because parents were able to look over the shoulder of their kids at home doing virtual education from home. And they could see what was going on and they could see the brain pop assignments and they could see the other ed tech assignments that were focused on, you know, BLM and some other things that were very political and politicized. Um, so I think that just continuing that level of engagement as we return back to normal and back to school um, as it was pre-COVID is going to be really important because these things will pop up in the places that you least expect them to pop up. And we have to stay engaged and stay watchful. That's so good. And I think that's something too that, you know, as we see what's what's taking place here across our nation, I think finally Americans are starting to wake up and seeing yep. what what is this? What, what are our children being taught? And so I'm glad that you know, even though what happened with COVID and, and everyone's world was turned upside down, I'm really grateful, though, that parents were able to engage with their kids and see what was going on and what they were being taught. And um, so thank you all so much for sharing just the action steps. And before we leave here, I have to ask you, as we go into our 4th of July weekend, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom means to me that parents get to choose how their kids are educated, that parents are partners with public schools in the education of our children. Um, you know, parents are the first teachers of their kids. And um, freedom means that the school district really needs to understand that relationship, right? The first teacher of any child is their mom and their dad. And so 
freedom for me means that we have to have a school district that respects free speech, respects, respects due process, respects freedom of association, respects freedom of religion, um, all of these basic fundamental tenets of the American democracy. Um, public schools need to be teaching those to our kids so that we grow a generation of patriots, we grow a generation of future leaders, and we grow a generation of kids who are going to carry on the fundamentals of the American dream. Um, and that really is what freedom means to me, and that's why we stood up and fought back. Incredible. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. That was very well put. I agree with everything she said. I tell you, we have to continue to create environments in our school where our children want to go to learn. Uh, they want to be able to go and be taught how to think, not what to think. Mm -hmm. um, this whole political ideology being um, indoctrinated on our children is just wrong. And it's definitely, Hannah said this before, it's un-American. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not what freedom is about. Our children need to be able to learn that they can go and they can speak their thoughts and they can think their own thoughts um, without being penalized and punished uh, for that and having to think about what they say or think about what they do. Um, so it's so important that we get our schools back um, and we're gonna fight every day um, to get our schools back. I mean, our schools across America are under attack. They just are. Um, and we need, and it starts at the very lowest elementary levels. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we need to start there and make sure that we're doing every single thing that we can as a school board, as a citizen, as a parent, to make sure our children get the education that they need. It's reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? It's not values, behaviors, right. and beliefs. Right. Right. That's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and to share just about the critical race theory, how you all won in South Lake, and then how parents can get involved and be aware because we are literally in such a critical time in our nation yes. and at a crossroads. So thank you all so much for thank you. sharing thank your you expertise. Thank you for having us. Appreciate yes. it. And as we conclude here, I just want to encourage our viewers to stand up and be bold to push back against this critical race theory, to be involved in your community and in your child's life. You know, I say this often, and I know you've probably heard me say this before, but President, President Ronald Reagan once said that evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. And it's gonna have to take good people like us to stand up and push back against what is happening here in our nation, but more importantly, against these movements that are limiting and suppressing and oppressing our freedoms. And as we enter into 4th of July weekend, may we never forget the freedoms that we have and those who have fought for our nation, but more importantly, our founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence so that we could be free. That is so important so that we could pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So may we never forget that. God bless and take care.